Welcome to the People Teaching People podcast. My name is Tiana Fesh. I'm a mom of three, an educator, a course development consultant, and a lifelong learner. Teaching and learning can take place anytime, anywhere, and in a multitude of ways. The range of knowledge and skills to teach and to learn about are truly limitless. But at the heart of all teaching and learning experiences are the people. The People Teaching People podcast is the place to talk about the who, what, when, where, why, and how of teaching and learning in a world where there is always more to discover. Education plays an important and integral role in all facets of our lives. How we work, do business, live, play, explore, and build relationships. Let's talk teaching and learning together. Welcome to the People Teaching People podcast. Joining me on the podcast today is Suzanne Fox. Suzanne is the founder of Suzanne Fox Communications, a consulting and coaching business. She has 20 plus years of award-winning journalism, PR, and marketing experience. She's the former co-host of City TV's Breakfast Television and the Morning News on Global Calgary followed by her role as Director of Marketing and Communication at Canada's largest craft brewery, Big Rock Brewery. These days, she helps clients find their unique voice and hone their thought leadership, from the boardroom to media scrums to branding and marketing campaigns. Her superpower is her constant curiosity and candidness. She lives in Calgary with her husband, Andrew, two kids, Bodhi, who's 11, and Catherine, who's 15, and their golden retriever, Olive. She volunteers her spare time with UNICEF Canada, acting as co-chair for the UNICEF Water for Life Gala, and also raising awareness for Canadian blood services, blood, plasma, and stem cell donations. Suzanne is someone who you immediately feel comfortable with. She puts you at ease keeps it real, and openly shares her stories and experiences. After listening to this episode, you will have some concrete tips and strategies in your pocket to step into your thought leadership, get up in front of your audience, and be authentically you. Thank you so much for joining me today, Suzanne. I'm pleased to be here. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to start off by learning more about you and your story and the journey that led to you starting your own coaching and consulting business. Well, I was thinking a little bit about this and I thought about, isn't it interesting how everything in our lives, you know, when we have a little perspective after a while, you realize that things kind of come full circle and then they go around again, right? And I know, you know, this podcast is about teaching and learning and I really see that having been my career uh, so far. Started out, I'm a farm girl from Southern Saskatchewan, and I had two ultimate teachers in my parents, my dad, a farmer, the ultimate entrepreneur, I would probably describe him. And then my mom, a teacher, an elementary school teacher, and also a very outspoken leader in my community. So I had that example. How lucky was I to start off in this life with that? And I always knew I would be a journalist. I'm one of those kids that I just, I was hell-bent on being a journalist, crafting stories, meeting different people, 
and certainly not shy. I was blessed to not have to navigate that world. So I had a very rewarding, almost two-decade career in journalism. I worked for all of the major news broadcasters. My happiest place, I would say, was in morning television. Despite the early morning factor in it, I'd get up at two most of the time and go to work. Yeah, crazy. That's early. (laughs) Really early, right? Middle of the night early. But what I loved about morning television was the live component of it, the live real conversations. I liked the energy it brought and the realness and it kept me on my toes and I have a really busy mind. So it was really a great culture and environment for me to live in. And then I had the opportunity to move into the corporate sector and I landed a really awesome job. I'm really lucky to get to work at Big Rock Brewery, which is a Calgary-based brewery, but it's Canada's largest craft brewery. And I got there at a time when they were in real growth mode. And we joked, but it was it was a crazy time in that business's chapter. They were literally, you know, building the plane as we were flying it. We were moving into new markets in Vancouver and Toronto and doing complete rebrands. And so I got to be mentored and learn from really dynamic leaders, fail a lot, (laughs) learn a lot. And really, it stretched me in, in, in a really incredible way that, you know, I hadn't necessarily been stretched in that direction in my previous career in journalism, but I was really still telling stories, teaching and learning. All of those things were still happening. And then in 2020, I got the opportunity, you know, I think inspired by that kind of pioneering message that had been in my career in threads throughout to start something for myself. So in 2020, I launched Suzanne Fox Communications. And that's what I get to do now. I continue to be able to tell stories, amplify messages, meet really interesting, different, diverse people. And I'm having a lot of fun, but I'm really still teaching, learning, stretching, growing. And uh, yeah, full circle. That is quite the journey. And isn't it amazing when we look back and we see, you know, I love how you shared about your parents and how they really took on that role of teacher and mentor and set you up for success. And then all the ways that you've continued to stretch and learn and grow along your journey to bring you to where you are today. And I think that openness to learning and openness yeah. to growing and stretching really can take us in such interesting directions. Yeah, and it's really, it's not without feeling really uncomfortable at times or seeing the next, the, the whole staircase, right? Like, you know, I think in our, our instincts are to want to have to lay everything out very clearly, but, you know, sometimes you just take the next step and the next step and the next step. And it's one thing that I'm really proud of in my career is that I have been, I have gotten okay being comfortable with the uncomfortable. And every time I've been willing to do that, you know, I talk to my kids about this even, it's always rewarded me. And you end up in a new space, in a place that you might not have even been able to truly imagine, but it's, it's through the uncomfortable, through pushing through it, that things get a lot clearer really does. And uh, yeah, things can get a little uncomfortable at times. (laughs) On Monday night, I went to sleep at eight o'clock because I had to do something really uncomfortable that day. And it was almost like writing an exam and it all went fine. 
but it was something new and different and I didn't know exactly how it would play out. But, you know, you, I did it. I learned from it. I went to sleep early. I felt better the next day, but there was a lot of growing that happened in that experience. So, yeah. And it's funny how our brain makes things sometimes bigger, hairier, scarier than they need to be. But once you push through it and walk through it and you get to look back on it, sure, there's some things that we'd like to change and tweak and, and maybe take back. But yeah, I'm kind of a no regrets, charge forward, think later kind of person. That's a good way to do it. Because there's so much learning that can come from the after the fact too. That reflection part is key. Now, in your work, you are teaching and mentoring and guiding people to find their unique voice. So what is your approach to helping people find this along with helping them to build their confidence and credibility and visibility in both their careers and their lives? I have a lot of fire in my belly about this. A lot from my own experiences, being someone who at times in my broadcast career in particular, I felt like I was being tried to fit in a certain box. You know, I, I tell this story of this news anchor who wanted all of his anchors, female anchors, to have short, blonde, bobbed hair. We were not memorable. We were replaceable. And, you know, I would go out into the community and people would always call me by the wrong name. One of my colleagues names it is because we all look the same. And so now I get an opportunity to talk, especially when I'm working with women and women leaders around embracing their uniqueness and their quirkiness. Sometimes that's harder and you need help having a cheerleader in your corner, right? Maybe there's a mentor, maybe there's a colleague, maybe there's someone like me that can help you walk through that. But I, you know, uniqueness and quirkiness is what I'm all about. I actually think I have accomplished what I've accomplished in my career because I really pushed back and resisted the conformity that we all tend to think matters. And so when I'm working with people in terms of standing out, and when you think about the people that stand out in terms of your consideration set or your influencers or your thought leaders, they all have something that's unique. And I challenge you to pull out yours and, and your unique characteristics. And if you need help with that, your friends will help that help you with that. Your colleagues will. Someone like me will. We get too far down our rabbit holes sometimes. We need someone to pull us out of those rabbit holes and remind us of what makes us so special. And so for something as simple as public speaking, for example, I don't want someone who's plain and boring and monotone. I like really different, unique presentation styles and pacing and volume. Yes, I need to hear you. Yes, I need to understand you. Yes, you need to understand how to craft a good message. Yes, we sometimes need to manage certain little quirks so they don't distract from the message. Personal appearance. Yes, it does matter, but it doesn't matter as much as we think it matters. So I'm all about, you know, I put my reporter cap on. I still get to use those skills every day. And I really extract your superpowers, your uniqueness. And we figure out how to shape it and own it and then take it out into the world. If you're already doing it, learning how to amplify it and get it to bigger stages. Yeah. I, and I appreciate so much how you're saying, you know, asking for that outside perspective, because you're mm -hmm. right. We get so caught up in 
all of our things that it's hard to really see sometimes those qualities that make us who we are special stand out different mm -hmm. from the crowd. So I think that's really helpful as even a start to ask some of your closest friends, what about me do you think is unique and makes me different from everybody else? I might be a little nervous to hear what they have to say. Well, <laughs> it's, it's always really interesting. Or if, if you have a special expertise, you can get so far down in it that you forget where everyone else is at on the topic or the issue, right? And so it's really helpful to have other people be curious and help you walk that. Absolutely. So we often hear this term thought leadership being used. Mm -hmm. I hear it more and more. And the teacher in me decided to look up the definition because that's what I do. <laughs> so I found one and it said the expression of ideas that demonstrate you have expertise in a particular field, area or topic. But I mean, that's a definition and it always means so much more when we understand what something actually looks like in practice. So how would you describe thought leadership in terms of what it looks like and how do you even start exploring or stepping into thought leadership? So in the context of public relations or publicity, this is something that I've been leaning into a lot with my clients. And it's not something that a lot of them are really gung-ho about often initially, but I do see it as foundational in marketing strategies. It is a buzzword, yes, but I, I want us to consider what it is and how we're using it. You might be doing it in your marketing and business. We're just not calling it that, or you might be intentionally avoiding it. And so I want to talk about it first and foremost. You know, I think you introduce us to thought leaders on this podcast all the time. These are interesting individuals. They sometimes defy the status quo. They have a perspective, a scope of experience that is unique. Are they perfect? Are they right? Do you agree with them? It doesn't matter, but they're putting their voice out there and they're giving us an opportunity to engage with them. In doing so, you know, the upside to thought leadership from a marketing perspective is visibility, authority, access, trust, and opportunity. Did I say that one? Because that one really matters. And I don't just mean money, but it can mean money. You know, I'll have clients come to me and say, I want to raise my profile. I want to get visible. I'm not getting on boards that I want. I want to be in more influential in policy decision-making. I'm hearing conversations happen in the media that are really frustrating me because I have a different perspective on things. So we talk about, okay, so let's take a few steps back and understand, number one, where your sweet spot is in terms of your expertise. And sometimes just like that rabbit hole, we have to pull them out of it so they can see it. But there's also a lot of work doing in what I call a bit of the unlearning. I think we're conditioned to censor ourselves. I think we're conditioned for conformity. Unfortunately, I ruffle a lot of feathers when I say that there's more men that are willing to declare themselves experts or thought leaders than there are women but there's a lot of stats that will confirm that. And I am on a mission to get more women in amplified and visible roles because we are 51% of the population and we need our voices heard. So it's, it's really important, you know, that we start 
working towards that. And that's, so what, that's what I'm proposing is that we be more intentional about it. So there's some unlearning that happens. There's some muscle that has to, that has maybe atrophied that we have to start flexing again, being comfortable, starting to put out opinions, challenging the status quo. Perhaps that is in newsletters, blog writing, editorials, in speeches, in classrooms, in boardrooms, in communities where you want to have influence or already have influence. I'm really encouraging people to consider their thought leadership and how they're being intentional about it. Does that make sense? I rambled there. <laughs> no, that that does make sense. And I can see, well, I have experienced, it can be hard to say something that doesn't seem to fit the feeling or the conversation happening in the room. That yes. can be very uncomfortable. And uh, being, I think, more clear on what you stand for, what you believe, what's important to you, what do you have that expertise in, and really getting that clarity on that. I can see how that would be really helpful. Like, what is my expertise? What is important to me? What, it, what are my experiences that validate my thoughts and ideas? It's not just that I'm grabbing them out of thin air, but having the confidence to say them out loud <laughs> can be yeah. can be a challenge. Yeah. And and it you can dip your toe in this, right? You don't have to plunge right into the the pool right out of the way right right away. Like it is it is a little unnerving because I speak to that unlearning, right? We we're conditioned to want to fit in and that conformity that happens throughout our careers perhaps. And so you, you can dip your toe into this and you can start flexing it and learning about it. But you know, when you think about the people that you turn to, the podcasts that you listen to, listen to the, the reports that you read, the books that you read, the authors, the politicians, the speakers, the board members, you know, they all start somewhere. And I just, I just want more people to think, why not me? I have a perspective not everyone needs to agree with me, but it is an important part of the process. Yeah. And it's, a, I think, an important part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And uh, there shouldn't only be certain voices at the table taking part in that conversation. Heck yes. Let's get it a little <laughs> bit more diversified. We can do this. More. Absolutely. Now, there are so many ways to market ourselves and put ourselves out there, including both earned media and advertising. So what is the difference between the two of these and what sort of strategy would you recommend for somebody looking to pursue opportunities in earned media? So I get this question often. And it's really important that I think we remind people that earned media is different than paid media. And by paid media, I mean advertisements, sponsored content, perhaps engagement with influencers. You have a business and you want to get the word out about it, for example. I will get someone who will come to me and say, can we get some earned media on this? And for example, they have a window washing business. So what I would first look at is what's happening in the news cycle. Is there anything current or relevant that I can somehow create a hook for what they're doing, the service that they're offering? Because earned media is free media. You're jumping into someone else's platform. You don't have full control of the message. And it's typically needs to be timely linked into a current affair or a not-for-profit. If you just want to 
get visibility for your business. That's an advertisement. And ads work. They really work. And they need to be an important pillar in your marketing strategy. So I always say, please, you know, don't forget about that if you're trying to get earned media. Earned media where it's really invaluable is the trust that it builds. It establishes authority, that opt-in, that sense of connection to someone who's with CTV or Global or any of the radio stations or any of the great journalists. You have been vetted and you've passed the sniff test and you're in. Your brand, your message, your story. But it's often linked to a not-for-profit connection, perhaps with your brand or story, or a hook to a current affair that's happening in the news cycle. So it's not reliable. It's a bonus when it happens, but typically I push people into the paid category and that's awesome as well and necessary. Yeah. So a little bit of both, I think. Yes, yes. please. <laughs> so yeah, no, that's so interesting. And I appreciate what you're saying as far as earned media goes. It's not about selling you, although you're establishing or building that trust and relationship with people who are hearing your message, listening to your expertise and ideas. But it's more about finding that connection to the greater picture. And that must be something that you support people with, because that may be a hard connection for people to find on their own. Yeah, you know, it's shocking to me. I'm a news nerd to this day. But fewer and fewer people are engaging with a variety of news content and platforms. And I'm reminded that, you know, if you're pitching to the news or you want any kind of earned media, you should be consuming it. And there aren't a lot of people consuming it. And so you have to be up to date with conversations that are happening around you in your community if you're going to be listening for that hook. And that's one thing that I do. And it's a critical part if you're going to play that game. Yes. My poor children listen to a lot of CBC radio in our house. Yep. <laughs> and up until very recently, I actually read the newspaper. I was getting even still the weekend newspaper, but then it shrunk so much and the comics were terrible. So I stopped, but I was the mom at the pool while my kids had swimming lessons with the newspaper open, reading the newspaper while everybody else's heads were in their phones. Oh, I yeah. love that. You know, yeah. and that's the example that they're, they're seeing too, is that you are engaging and you're not getting your, you know, Hey, I love myself a little Facebook every now and then, but your news is not on Facebook. Please don't, <laughs> uh, don't consider that news, right? Like I still get a newspaper delivered to my house and I, I like long form journalism. It is, it is a dying art, <laughs> but it's really important, you know, having time to read, digest, reread information. I love editorials, but I like current affairs as well. And I just, I, I'm, I'm a holdout. I know I'm one of the last few by the sounds of it, but yeah, I really still love to hold that newspaper and read it. Well, I'm, I'm so excited to learn there's another person that was a part that is a part of the newspaper crew, because I thought it was just myself and my childhood Hanging friend, Chelsea. <laughs> I thought it was just on. the two of us. So building a business and stepping into thought leadership and sharing our stories, all of those things require us getting ourselves in front of people and an audience, essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So 
with that, where should we really be focusing our time and energy? Should it be more on building our own audience or should we be focusing our energy more on borrowing audiences? I love this topic. And whenever we're having a strategy conversation around a marketing initiative, we start here. It is the question you should ask yourself first. Are we building? Are we borrowing? Or are we doing a bit of both? And often with entrepreneurs or smaller initiatives or something that's starting from the ground up, you need to ask yourself and take a really realistic look at your bench strength, <laughs> your time, your energy, your focus, right? For example, I just worked on an initiative, a national initiative that was starting from scratch. So we were building something from scratch and we had a very tight timeline to turn it around to get to what we would describe as success and visibility and engagement. And so we looked to borrow audiences. We looked for activated communities whom we could drop our message in, connect our members to, and borrow their audiences in an effort to get to the finish line, i.e. awareness quicker. Podcasts are an example of this. You do an incredible job. You have built a beautiful community here, but you can tell everyone listening here how much work that is, right? It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of work. And that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. But you're really good at it too. And that's the other factor, right? If you want to build something, you're good at it and you have the energy and bandwidth for it. I love to be a part of a team that's going to build something from scratch, but there are often opportunities where we need to borrow audiences. So we look for connections and similarities in communities and we drop them in. A lot of my clients love podcasts. Podcasts are booming. There are opportunities to find communities that already exist and that are curated and be guests in those communities. That's a beautiful example of borrowing audiences. There is a lot of value in building something, but we don't always have the time or energy to do it. Yeah, no, it's, and it is so interesting with podcasting. My husband was actually baffled and blown away by the fact that I have agencies reach out to me on behalf of people just that I have no connection to whatsoever, that they would like to have this client of theirs be a guest in my podcast. And he said, that is actually a thing. Like he just could not wrap his head around that. So when it happened the first time, it threw me off a little bit. But yeah, apparently there is a business around getting people on podcasts. You have a platform and a community that people want access to. And it's really important. It's what I do for my clients often. I, certain, I recently saw a stat that you know over the last three years, podcast audiences have grown by 30%. So in the context of media, podcasts are growing faster than almost anything else. Interesting. I'll have to enlighten my husband. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He thought that was so interesting. Now, there is so much to be learned by the questions we get asked, and I'm asking you many questions today, but especially those questions that we get asked the most often. So prior to our conversation today, you had shared with me some of the questions that you get asked the most, and I, I love that so much. And you had agreed to share some of your responses and thoughts with me, which I love. So 
One of the questions you had mentioned is how do you get your audience on your side? So be it a classroom. And this one just makes me think of being a substitute teacher, which I only did a couple of times (laughs) in a junior high classroom. That was a little challenging, but even a boardroom or a big stage for a keynote, how do you get your audience on your side? Yeah. And I love that thought. I have that little feeling in my gut for classroom for sub teachers, you know, so the most important thing is know your audience, right? If we're speaking to kindergartners or grade 12 students or board members or a specific association, know your audience, do your homework before you come in. Because the thing that I always say is you need your audience to come along with you. So you need them to start out with, so what, who is this woman? Why is she standing here speaking to me? At the end of the conversation or presentation, you want them to go, me too. You want them to feel like they relate to you in some way. There doesn't need to be a direct line, but through the conversation and the presentation, you're building relatability through story. So they go from, so what, to me too. I always just remind myself of that little counterbalance right throughout the walk or the journey of the presentation and it's really important to remember you know storytelling the importance of storytelling teachers are really really good at this unfortunately big business doesn't do a great job at that at this it is the value of storytelling we know that our brains remember information when it's given to us in a story 10 percent when it's given in data and charts and graphs that rises all the way up to 70% when it's given in a story format. So always challenge yourself to know who you're speaking to, find the stories that they can relate to. Beautiful. And stories, my absolutely number one favorite engagement strategy to use, no matter the learning opportunity. If I'm helping clients develop an online course or an in-person opportunity with young kids or with adults, it's It really is all about the story because that does draw you in. And I find when you get lists of stats and graphs and charts, my brain starts to wander. I will admit it. (laughs) And it's, it's amazing how you just can't, you know, this is important information. I know I'm supposed to remember and retain this, but your brain just doesn't hold on to it. So no, it doesn't stick. Doesn't stick like a story. How do I beat the nerves when public speaking to any sized audience? And I will tell you, like on a personal level, it doesn't, I, well, I, I feel less nervous in front of students, but I find it doesn't matter the size when it's people my own age, like other adults, those are the environments where I feel myself getting the most nervous. So what can I do to help mm-hmm. myself? Mm-hmm. Well, You know, I walk through a lot of exercises to, you know, physically remove some of that tension. I really believe in if I'm really nervous, I will often do a downward dog. I'm crazy. Like I, I physically move my body because once I move my body physically, I can calm my mind. And maybe you've benefited from that. We always know the benefit of exercise, right? And even those short bursts of movement can really help. I will often do wacky, I know this is a podcast, so you can't necessarily see me, but I will do wacky things with my face to warm it up and and calm myself down. I sing, I have this exercise where I work through my clients, we, we do the muscle tensing and relaxing. So you take every muscle, including your butt, and you squeeze it really hard, and then you release it. And we do that three or four times, and it just helps to remove some of the tension acknowledge that it's there and, and release it. And 
another thing, you know, we say practice, 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 push through the uncomfortable, right? But what I found really helpful is reminding myself that I need to get out of my head and lead with my heart, right? Because what I have to teach or tell really matters to me. And when you make it about yourself, all those negative voices overtake your head and then they, your nerves go right out the window, right? So you really have to remind yourself to just get out of your head, lead with your heart. I have a quote. I was recently at a conference and a woman by the name of Sherry Graydon, she's with Informed Opinions and she's a former journalist and now she teaches individuals how to get up and speak out. Here, I have it written down because I write quotes and she says, it's easier to speak up when doing so is about something bigger than yourself. And I love that quote, and it really does help me tackle my nerves when I get out of my own way and remember why I'm there, who I'm speaking to, what the message is I'm delivering. And then, you know, acknowledging it's not going to be perfect, but it doesn't need to be, especially when you're leading and speaking from your heart. Ooh, I, I love all of that. It does. It really yeah. does. I feel like I'll feel a little bit better on Monday. <laughs> I'll remember your physical, messages. Yeah. It's the physical and the mental, right? And, and they, they both need, you know, and preparation, practice, practice, practice. We all hear that. It really does matter. I strongly encourage recording yourself and watching yourself back. It's really hard. But remember that you are going to be harder on yourself than anyone else. But it does help refine your message and ensure that the, the key takeaways are there. Amazing. Yes, it is so hard listening to myself. <laughs> I struggle. I struggle. But fantastic advice. Thank you. I think I'll save the downward dog to prior to anyone entering the room or space. But I, I yep. think moving yep. around is a good thing. Yep. Is a good yep. thing. Do, yeah. Do what you got to do. I give it a shake, give it a holler. Yeah. I, I've been known to, you know, sing in the car, sing in the bathroom, just get that tension, work it through your body. Amazing. I'm on it. I'm on it. Okay. Now, when it comes to the media, when and how do I pitch myself to them? Okay. I want to remind people that newsrooms are very, very busy places. When I worked as a reporter, or an assignment editor. An assignment editor is the individual who receives all of the information coming into the newsroom. So they are listening to police scanners and fire. They're getting all of the pitches. There are hundreds and hundreds of these pitches coming in every day. As a reporter, I would get, you know, three, four, 500 sometimes a day. So be realistic about what your visibility may be. So when we talk about getting that earned media, understand that it's a bit of a reach sometimes, unless it's tied to a really timely current affair, something that you're linked to, you have an expertise to, you have a unique story that ties in. That's a really great opportunity and time to pitch to the media. But I just want people to be really understanding of that and then build build relationships if, if you are wanting to get visibility and have opportunities to speak out on certain topics, you start need to start engaging with reporters. They're all on social media platforms right now. They've all gone digital. So start engaging, following them, commenting on them. And I still pick up the phone and call. 
It's old fashioned, I know, but there is nothing like a phone call sometimes, even a voicemail. I know my mom leaves me so many voicemails, but I say, mom, no one leaves voicemails anymore. But you know, the opportunity to every now and then get a real person on the other line and talk to them uh, is really important. So don't be afraid to pick up the phone. Yeah, that there isn't as many phone calls these days. That's for sure. No, it's yeah, fairly limited. And I know it's so funny when you're saying that even with my friends, if one of us phones the other, the first thing we have to say is this is not an emergency. Like we have to wow. clarify because <laughs> we tend to text one another most of the time. So the phone calls, this is not an emergency, but I just felt this was a better thing to talk about over the phone than through a million texts. So yeah. Wow. So true. So true. <laughs> but you know, every now and then you get on a phone call that's really important and memorable yeah. and it doesn't get lost in the pile. So yeah, amazing. sometimes it's a bit of a, a leap, but give it a try. Love that. Who are the most interesting people that you have interviewed and why? Oh, I love this question. So I have interviewed just, you name it, just a wide range of people. I think about the politicians, the prime ministers and presidents, the rock stars, the actors. And I hate to say it, but often they kind of have disappointed me. You know, like you have it in your head of who they are. And I think maybe they're just these super heroes, but they're really just regular people. And so the people that are more most memorable to me throughout my career are the ones that are vulnerable, vulnerable, scared, empowered on a mission. I remember a mother whose son was in prison and she felt strongly that he was wrongly in prison and she was worried about his safety. And her passion and, and powerful message and her courage, because she was scared to come on live television and be vulnerable. You know, those are the people that you remember. I covered court for a few years. So I remember, you know, being in court and having to talk to people accused of taking other people's lives, right? And trying to give them a fair platform to ask fair questions. So those are the people that kind of stand out for me. Hmm. Yeah. And I think people might be surprised by that answer, but I do love that and appreciate that. And have you ever had a worse day on TV? Is there an experience or experiences that stand out to you? So I tell these stories because I want to remind people that, you know, things that in your head seem like the worst of the worst, other people have forgotten about. So there's a few things that I will never forget about. I passed out once on live television. I literally dropped out of the shot, got up too fast, saw stars, dropped out of the shot. We went to commercial break, had a laugh. Colleagues dusted me off. I came back, apologized, cracked a joke, and on we went. I've tripped while walking, doing a live report and fallen. It's a bit of a theme here. I've had coworkers fall asleep on live television with me while we were doing an interview. Wow. I've had actors and comedians come on television with me who are not sober. And I've had to navigate that conversation. You know, I've, you name it, it's happened to me. And in my head, it's just this most horrible thing that I could never have imagined I would have made it through. And no one remembers. So it's just a reminder. It's always bigger in your head than it is anyone else's. Well, and I think too, given all the experience that you've had and success that you've had in the media to say, I've had days that haven't gone as planned can provide some comfort for people that don't have that same experience or expertise with the media or speaking in front of others. And 
When I was working with student teachers at the University of Calgary, I always shared with them a story about one of my worst days teaching. As a first year teacher, I won't get into the details, but I oh, was teaching. Wow. Well, <laughs> I was teaching a <laughs> science class back when there were overhead projectors. And I also taught leadership. Ooh. And there was a table in front of my lab bench with a bunch of supplies for leadership on it. Anyways, I leaned back on that table and stapled my fingers together while teaching. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> it was horrible. So, Yes, I excused myself from the classroom and said I'd be right back if they could just work on a few questions, let the teacher next door know that I had to leave. I just, but I didn't tell them what had happened, my students. Wow. I went to the staff bathroom, pulled the staple out, uh, went to the office, got a couple band-aids, came back and like no one knew what had happened, which is great. But I told my student teachers, if you're ever having a bad day, just picture me with my fingers stapled together in front of my grade go. nine science class. Yeah. So I think those stories are helpful. It just makes yeah. you more relatable, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although it, it, it humbles us and, and it's always fun to look back on them and laugh yes. instead of cry. Oh yeah. And I also think they're endearing, you know, it reminds others that we're human, right? That I, I am, you know, that's so what to me too. We're all the me too's, right? We all, yeah. we all can relate to people who make mistakes and have terrible days at work. We yes. all do. We and all we live to do. live another day. And many of them make really good stories after the fact. They sure do. <laughs> Now, I know that volunteering, along with all the work that you do, is a really important pillar in your business. I know I'm jumping from stapling my fingers together to volunteering. I love this. You know. <laughs> it's right up my alley. So why is volunteering such an important piece of what you do? Well, you know, I, I really value people's time and I know how busy we all are. So I really encourage people to find great partnerships and charities that they feel empowered to and that they can contribute to you. Again, you don't have to build something, but be a part of something that you believe in and contribute in whatever way you can. And for me, it's so cliche, but I get back more than what I give. Every time I'm a part of something that I, I really believe in. I'm a volunteer with UNICEF Canada. I have been for, I think, 12 years, and I've really had an opportunity to understand how you know, we are truly a global community and how what we can do in Calgary, Alberta can impact other people across the world. I've traveled to Africa and had an opportunity to see that impact. And it, it opens your eyes to the possibility. We can get feeling hopeless and helpless. But when you get engaged, you start to see solutions all around you and the good people that are doing that. So it's really empowering and energizing. So, you know, in any little way, in any little corner of your world, if you can find that, latch onto it because it's really energizing. It really is. Yeah. And, and as a small business owner, I look for those small ways that I can help and yeah. make a difference. And I appreciate yeah. what you're saying. It's not that you need to take something on huge, but you can be a part in your own, in your own way. It is so important. Now, on a personal note, you've not you virtually met my youngest human my youngest kiddo carter and i know that one of the most impactful teachers that he's had recently is your son bodie hmm. and i'm wondering if you could share how your son's battle with aplastic anemia has changed your perspective on success well 
Talk about teaching and learning and perspective shift. When something happens to a child, your child, it, it changes everything, right? And I'm still learning about what the lessons have been on this journey with him. So my son, when he was 10 years old, was diagnosed with a really rare bone marrow failure disease called aplastic anemia. And to keep him alive, he needed blood and platelet transfusions, hundreds of them, to the point where he eventually had a stem cell transplant. And he's about a year post stem cell transplant and he's doing really well. But it's been a really scary, hard time. And in the context of what I've learned in career and business and life, you know, I was a mom who was busy being busy. I certainly wore a, my busyness like it was like this badge of honor. And then life comes along, real life comes along and your, your child is sick and everything kind of stops, right? And, you know, so what I, what I challenge people to do is to really be clear on health and family and ensure that you're nurturing that. Because I don't think I took care of myself. I think I, I you know, took for granted family and health and wellness until it was knocking at my door. And I have incredible gratitude for the recovery and the people along the way that have supported us. But he's, he's taught us a lot about, you know, gratitude and ensuring that, you know, we're nurturing that along the way. And even if, you know, your life is going great, I, I remind you that you never know <laughs> when something like this is gonna come at you. Bodhi's disease is like one in 2 million but there's so many other things that can come at you in your life that are unexpected. So everything stops when, when, you, when you don't have your health and wellness. And I, I've learned a lot from that. I, I've learned, gosh, Bodhi's taught me so much that we don't need to sweat the small stuff. When we talk about nerves and those negative voices in our head and how we can get so wound up about bad days at work and stuff, everything's small stuff in the grand scheme of things, right? When you, when you back up and have a look at it, it's all small, small stuff. I've learned there's this quote, this too shall pass, you know, even in the hardest days, it's, you know, this too shall pass. Cause then you get to another day and it's a great day. And then this too shall pass. So it's kind of the mantra that we live by, you know, everything is temporary and that that's good and that's bad, but I kind of like living in that space. And I've learned to be really grateful for my work when I've had the opportunity to come back to it and to nurture it as well. Lots of lessons. I'm still learning them. Yeah. So many lessons, so many lessons. And I also learned a lot from you and from Bodhi with your family's experience. And I know Carter appreciated so much that Bodhi had a conversation with him and really yeah. helped to understand and, and to be able to hear Bodhi's story that has really had a lasting impact on both me and Carter. So I really appreciate, appreciate that all the lessons learned. And I'm so happy well, that Bodhi is doing overall much better. He is. And I'm really grateful for Carter and you. And, and that was really important for him to be able to start speaking about his journey. That might've been one of the early conversations that he had about his health journey. And it has started to make him feel less alone when he has been able to find his voice and share his story. And so it's all been part of the learning. So much learning, so mm -hmm. much, so much. 
Now, Bodhi's obviously been an incredible teacher for you. Is there another person that stands out for you as a favorite teacher? Or is there a learning experience that you've had that really stands out for you? Oh, so many teachers. So I'd be remiss if I didn't speak about my mom because she's been my ultimate teacher and she is a teacher and her energy and curiosity has been a fuel for me throughout my life. There's another teacher I think of in terms of my broadcast and journalism career. His name was Carl Worth and he was a boss of mine in Regina. And I remember I was this young, green, nervous as heck reporter. And he announced to me one day that he was, I was going to be anchoring the evening newscast. And I said, I don't know how to do that. I've never done that before. And, you know, he, I remember, you know, he sat beside me. We built a newscast. We wrote it. We ensured that we had put the, the show together. And then he left. He left the building before I went on television. And I thought, how, what, what is this man doing? He, what, he's crazy. He, I, does he know what I'm able, capable of? And, you know, he just believed in me enough to know that it wasn't going to be perfect. And it wasn't but that I could do it. And he gave me the courage to know that I could do something. And, and I loved that he didn't micromanage me. He could have sat over my shoulder and put everything together and then sat off to the corner when we went live that night. But he actually physically left the building and let me take a show to air by myself. And that was a starting point for you know a lot of confidence that I was able to build because he just, you got this. And he walked away. And maybe he didn't have great confidence in me, but he let me find my path. He was awesome. That sounds like an, a fantastic teacher, one that lets you mm -hmm. take those steps. And, you know, he gave you some tools and resources, and then he let you be yes. and to, to walk that path. He obviously had Nerves a lot of steel. trust. Yes, trust and faith in you. Now, when you look back at your journey so far, what would be something that you're the most proud of? Mm. Oh, that's hard. I think I spoke to this earlier, you know, that I'm okay being uncomfortable, that each career change or move or job that I've moved into, I have been okay knowing that I'm not going to be amazing, but I'll figure it out. And I'm really proud of that. I think in particular in the journalism industry, it's, it's a really hard business to be in. And I think that there's a lot of unhappiness and job dissatisfaction. And unfortunately, I think there's a lot of people who are in their careers, wherever they are, they stay because they're scared when something better is just around the corner, even if they can't see it. And I've always known that I may not know what it looks like, but I'm going to find it. And I'm proud of that fact. It's interesting that you say that. I recently had a conversation with someone in teaching. I find that this happens too. Mm -hmm. People love many things about teaching, but feel like maybe there's something out there for them, but it does take that courage and that discomfort to take those steps to explore something else. Yeah. And it is a leap of faith. And I'm, you know, I think we have to be realistic. We all need to pay the bills and yeah. there's, there's real life stuff that often gets in the way, but don't be that person that looks back 30 years on a career and says, I wish I would have, right? Like I just don't push through. Mm -hmm. 
I have a few rapid fire questions for you. Okay, I'll be quick, I promise. (laughs) What is something that you would love to learn about or something you would love to do? Okay, I am geeking out right now about forest ecology. And so I want to take a course or learn more. So I'm looking into this right now, but I've been reading books on forests and trees and how they interact and communicate. So I'm, I'm on it, but I'm fascinated by it. What is a place that's at the top of your travel bucket list? I want to go back to Europe with my family. My, my son in particular is really into World War II history, and there's so much rich history that's there. So can't wait to get back to Europe. What is a book, podcast, movie, or TV show that you've been enjoying recently? Wow, I'm a bookworm, but I really do love podcasts. And if you haven't listened to Julia Louise Dreyfus's new podcast, it's called Wiser Than Me. It is phenomenal. It is probably my favorite one right now, aside from yours, of course. <laughs> she speaks to older women intentionally. So 70 might be the youngest, 70 and up, older women about what they've learned. It's called Wiser Than Me. And she just interviews and women who've lived that much life and have had that much experience. We don't often see or hear from them enough. And so she's finding interesting conversations, women who are afraid to kind of just speak out and unfiltered and uncensored. And I just have been devouring that one. That sounds fascinating. You'll love it. If you could sit down and have a conversation with someone that you would love to learn from, who would it be and why? Ooh, that's hard to pick. I just finished Michelle Obama's latest book, The Light We Carry. And I was reminded of how much wisdom she carries. And there was so much incredible advice around, you know, when things get too big, go small. And I really love that concept. I'm applying it to my life when I'm stressed, you know, when I have to do all this stuff, what's the little thing I could do? You know, when she was really stressed during COVID, she learned to knit because it just gave her a sense of control and calm. And so I love her and I would love to have a conversation with her. And the other one is I just reread Judy Bloom's book, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And I heard her interviewed around the time that she wrote that book and what was happening and now the censorship of books and how they're being pulled off of shelves in libraries across the world, North America. And I thought, oh, I would love to have a conversation with her. She's in her 80s. She's very articulate. She's very outspoken. And I would just love to pick her brain and learn from her. Two very interesting people. Those would be fascinating conversations. Now, the last sort of big question that I want to ask you is around the fact that education just really plays such a big part in all facets of our lives, be it work or play or exploration. So I'm wondering if you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom to empower people or support people with their own teaching and learning journeys. Well, I think it's important to remember that we need to stay curious. You know, as a a journalist, I'll never take that cap off. I think it's important to ask more questions and really listen to the answers, give that space and time. And I also think that it's important to get out of our own way sometimes. So, you know, when I say get out of your head, lead with your heart, speak from your heart, try to apply that more often. Those are my big takeaways. 
Well, Suzanne, I want to thank you so very much for sharing your time and your thoughts and all of your words of wisdom with us today. If people are wanting to learn more about you and all the things that you're up to, where are the best places to find you? I use Homebase as my website. So SuzanneFox.com and it's spelled S-U-S-A-N-N-E dot Fox. And that's where I am. I always I used to get called Samantha Fox when I worked in journalism. It's not Samantha Fox. It's Suzanne Fox. But that's where I am. Come say hi to me. Sounds good. And thank you so much again, Suzanne, for joining me today. It was so much fun as always to connect with you and to learn from you. And I always learn from you. So thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for all the thought leaders that you're putting on this platform. It's, it's important work that you're doing. So thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the People Teaching People podcast. I'm your host, Tiana Fesh. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Tiana Fesh and on my website, tianafesh.com. I would love it if you would subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast. Your feedback and support are so appreciated. See you next time where we will continue to explore all things teaching and learning together.